Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Are you experienced? Well, that's the question that our next guest hopes to answer and also hopes that his patrons and customers and teams say yes to. If you've ever been to one of Inception Group bars, I'm sure you have been experienced and you've loved every second of it. Our next guest is Charlie Jelks, who is the director and co-founder at Inception Group. Charlie and the team were the first operators that I saw have real fun with the COVID restrictions and incorporate it seamlessly in terms of how they would serve, welcome and give an experience to their guests while wearing the appropriate PPE and having the real social distancing measures in place. Charlie and I also talk about how they dreamt up their concepts at Inception Group, how word of mouth became their best marketing weapon, and how they launched a cocktail into space, got it back down, and served it to their customers for viral marketing success. So it gives me the most experiential pleasure ever to introduce a very special guest today. I'm really excited to hear all of their stories and how they do it at Inception Group, and it is the wonderful Charlie Jelks of Inception Group. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. Real pleasure. Thanks for coming on. And a lot of the time it's people that come on that, you know, sort of bumped into over the years or or know well. So it's nice to have a a new face and a new friend of the show. And uh, I think that's been a great thing about this period, this lockdown, you know, the sector really come together. I've I've spoken to lots of operators and lots of, marketeers and people involved in the industry who I'd never knew before and I think there has been a silver lining it's been that I think so and some wonderful stuff going on so you had hospital live happened uh you know we with James getting everyone together yeah. did their wonderful interviews cam media were doing their interviews as well um and yeah I think a lot of people were just sort of thinking we've got an industry to save here and if we don't do that then we're all sunk anyway yeah, I think I got you know the Propel. I think did a great job too with with their with Mark doing and Anne doing the crisis interviews. But yeah, I think there was there was a lot of comfort um, in knowing we're all in this together. And you know, I didn't I didn't often watch one of the interviews and and and, and nothing really felt alien. we all we all were going through the same issues, having to immediately think about our, our cash flow and getting people onto furlough and dealing with landlords and so we all face the same challenges but it was it, it gave me comfort that we face them as a collective. And how are you feeling right now? So we're in the 17th of September, Rule of Sixes just came in in various guises across the country. Um, what, what's sort of on your mind at the moment? You know obviously if I if I go back to sort of you know we, we had a bit of a canary in the coal mine back in February. We started getting a lot of cancellation mid-Feb because we do a lot of corporate business. We have big companies internationally doing two or three day events and obviously you know they started cancelling and then we had the full lockdown and I think once you've gone from a full lockdown and having 
some revenue is better than none. And I think I feel positive that there's there's clearly the demand. You know, we're very lucky. We're experiential. We're destination. I think the consumer at the moment hasn't got a lot of you know other things to spend their money on, whether it's travel, uh, whether it's going to a concert or going to the football or going to the theatre. Sadly, these things are not um, available for people to do. So I've definitely you know been heartened by the fact that our consumer wants to come back out into our venues. I think. You know, the thing which gives me anxiety and is massively restricting our sales is one of our venues, Maggie's, a nightclub, can't reopen at all. And the other venues have got big restrictions. So groups can't stand at the bar, um, table service only. There's obviously the rule of six now, so we can't have larger groups. You know, two flat shares, if they're a larger group, can't come together. Um, so, you know, that... That, that is massively restricting our revenue. And I'm nervous about Christmas because Christmas is a big part of our um, you know, of our year. And without any events, Christmas is going to look very different. But I think you know, the thing that's, that's, that's given me most nervousness at the moment um, is, is, is the talk of curfews, the talk of uh, first localised but possibly national curfews from 10pm because you know, that would be very, very damaging, especially to a group like ours, which is a you know, a, a more of a late night uh, bar group. And, you know, I th- so yeah, I think I think my feelings mixed, you know, heartened by the fact that consumers still want to come out and they, you know, they're craving experience. They've never wanted it more, never needed it more, that escapism, but, but worried about what's to come because, you know, coronavirus is not in the rear view mirror. It, it, you know, this isn't, this isn't an issue that has been eradicated. And also, you know, in terms of what happened from lockdown then, you know, just in terms of the business and following and messaging and, you know, what what were the sort of stages then? You know, obviously you got, you were one of the first like swingers and these types of people where the corporate bookings were dropping off. And at what point, you know, did you go into that sort of crisis mode? I think it was sort of, you know, sort of mid to late February. We started thinking, you know, this is, this is not looking good. I know someone who's a, uh, a uh, big hotelier in, in Italy, and they were telling me the extent of cancellations coming there. Well, obviously, they were a few weeks ahead. Um, so we started planning, you know, and, and, and thinking how are we going to run these businesses in a, in a leaner way, perhaps, you know, closing for quieter periods and consolidating our trade to the busier days. And we actually spent, um, you know, a whole Monday and um, you know, or, 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 which happened to be the day that Boris stood up and said, don't go to bars and clubs, you know, strategizing again about how he needed to go further. Um, and then obviously he made that announcement. And um, I think we decided at that point we had to shut everything with immediate effect. And, you know, I think like everyone, we, you know, we went through a period of complete shock uh, to begin with. And, but but we, we kept our ears to the ground. We were speaking to Kate Nichols at UK Hospitality regularly and felt fairly confident something was on its way in terms of a job retention scheme. So it was trying to get everyone onto that and kept the core team bus working throughout. And then it was really down to, to cash flow and managing that. And then, you know, sadly hard decisions along the way. Um, and we then, you know, started thinking about what does a reopening look like? And I think it was sort of only really, you know, a, a sort of a good few weeks, uh, if not months into the, the lockdown, there was the realisation that when we do reopen, we're not going to be re- able to reopen in the way things were beforehand. Yeah. Um, and there is going to be this thing, 
know, might prefer to call it physical distancing and, and social distancing. Yeah. Um, there is there is going to be this 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 measure in place, and um, you know, we're not going to be able to achieve anything like the revenue um, we had before for a period of time. As this goes on, we remain hopeful, but you know, this is a temporary thing, and, and, and hopefully things get back to normal um, early early next year once we're through the sort of winter flu season. But um, I mean, th- those are the stages. But you know, it's I feel a lot happier that we're you know we're open. We've opened um, seven of our eleven venues. Two more open. Um, you know, in, in in the coming weeks, uh, and um, and then and then one other, you know. So by by mid October, ten will be open, and then it's just our, our our nightclub Maggie's, which is the only one, which we await um, a decision on, really. And I think you know a big frustration I have is you know the lack of clarity. Um, you know, I think we, I I understand that a nightclub is a difficult business to run with physical distancing distancing in place mm. but to me it just feels grossly um, unfair and misguided of the government to keep us in the dark in terms of their thoughts and not to extend any specific support um, so we're currently paying 10% of our Maggie's team's wages plus national insurance and next month will be 20% and then obviously from November 100% mm. I mean that's not sustainable with no revenue or no clarity so if their intention is that we open in March next year, or they think that's a likely scenario, tell us that and we'll offer some support to get us there. Otherwise, also, it's been a huge waste of taxpayers' money. Uh, and these people are being, to coin Boris's phrase, in, you know, held in suspended animation. And they would far rather um, you know, move on and, and enter the job market whilst there are jobs still available. So it, I, think, I think that probably is my, is my number one frustration. But... It's fantastic to see, um, you know, the venues open, and um, you know, I've, I've missed that sound of the cocktail shakers and seeing guests um, having a great time and celebrating special occasions. And you know, it's, it's it's kind of all I've ever known, really, operating venues. So, you know, I've missed it a great deal over the over the closure period. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Hey, it's Sam Brown here from Toggle. You may have already seen some of the work we do in partnership with the likes of Rose's Tie, The Alchemist, Yummy Pubs, Coat, and thousands of other locations. Toggle allows you to sell gift cards, experiences, promotions, and even retail products online and in your venues. There's no contract, so you can use it however suits you best. With Black Friday and Christmas approaching at the end of such a tough year, we wanted to make Toggle accessible to everyone risk-free. So the first £1,000 worth of gift card sales is now on us no charge. Just visit usetoggle.com to learn more. So if we go back a little bit, how did you get into hospitality and then what was the sort of genesis of the Inception Group? So, you know, I, on, on leaving school, I wanted to, I took a year out um, before I went up to university and I needed to try and cobble together some money to pay for my airfares and things to pay travelling. And so I started doing club nights um, in London and they were quite successful. Um, and there was sort of one night where I used to run a Tuesday at a nightclub and this guy, my arch rival, used to run a Thursday night, the week before Christmas, 
Um, I booked through the owner, he booked through the manager, and uh, we dub- they doubled books and they said, rather than choosing between you, you've got to work together. Um, and that, 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 that person is Duncan, my business partner, ever since. So oh, yeah. that was 18 years ago. Um, and I realized he was very practical um, and I wasn't, I wasn't so practical and we'd make a good team. So we started doing more and more club nights. Um, and then I very nearly uh, threw, you know, threw in the towel at going to uni. But um, my dad's a, um, a doctor and I think from his, you know, he's quite right that he was, you know, felt like uh, you know, it was important to go ahead and get a degree. So I went up to Edinburgh Uni and I used to do three days a week up there, four days a week in London. I commuted every week. And used to pack in all my um, sort of, you know, sort of learning and lectures and days in the library. Carried on running the office. And then halfway through my time at uni, we heard about a hotel that was being redeveloped down in London and that there was a basement storage. And we approached the hotel owners and said, what are you doing um, with that basement? And they said, we're turning it into um, housekeeper's storage. And we knew it had a previous license. And we said, you're mad, you know, this could a great nightclub and these guys were in their 70s they didn't really know what a nightclub was we had a rather an awkward night taking them around showing them a few nightclubs um and eventually you know they were very worried about how the noise the noise would kind of emanate through that hotel so we um convinced them we could put a lead line ceiling and anyway that was the first taste we had of doing something they put in all the money we didn't own it and um, but we had a profit share and we sort of were sort of perceived as owners and we learned a lot about how to operate a premises. And we did that for three years. It was a nightclub called Kids. And um, it wasn't the start of the second group. It was, we were quite detailed in the concept we could do to have to fit in with the style of the hotel, but it was a success and it gave us a, a taste of, 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 of operating, not just promoting. And I think it was nice for us because we had full control of it rather than when you're promoting someone else's place and the owners there changed the goalposts a lot. Um, and I think during that period, of operating that we became convinced we wanted to start our own place and we heard about these speakeasy ideas in new york and it hadn't really been done in london and we heard about this old residence bar within an apartment block with absolutely no street frontage it was an old squash court absolutely tiny but we thought it sounded like it would make the most brilliant uh, secret bar so we signed a lease we personally guaranteed that lease and um, which our lawyer told us at the time was madness and Kind of naively we plowed on and uh, took a huge risk in doing so and we did the whole bar on a twenty thousand pound um, budget just loads of brick back from car boot sales um worked with friends we sort of graffiti artists and um, you know we went to car boot sales and bought loads of teapots to serve cocktails sounds very generic now but at the time no one was doing that uh, for our regulars we didn't sell membership they had a key card which let them in through the door and um and then other regulars had their own tankard above the bar with their name. And that was Bart's, which 11 years on, uh, is still going strong. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it, was, it became a great, a great bar. I got loads of bars. It was just as Twitter was taking off in 2009. So there's a load of bars about this. We never gave our location. It's a secret bar. Can you find it? Haven't been there. He had some fun things like there was a fancy dress box. And I always remember there was a reviewer from my name, Guardian, who said, you know, I came along and eventually found it. I was, you know, went into three different kitchens, the back of restaurants and got lost and ended up knocking on someone's apartment door and, and then eventually rang the right bell. And they look, we, we have a little sort of shutter that you open a peephole and then let them in and said, you know, I saw this fancy dress box and I thought, what a ridiculous idea. 
an hour later, I was dressed as a penguin and trying drinks. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, the, the idea of the fancy dress box was, 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 it was a bit of an icebreaker and something a bit different. Um, so that, that went well, and that was the start of the business, really. Um, and then we kind of opened pretty much a venue every, every year from then. And Duncan and I, you know, we're still the only two shareholders. We never had any investors, uh, and we still don't. More recently, we've had some bank debt to help fund our growth. But it led to Maggie's, our 1980s nightclub, uh, to Bunga Bunga, and then eventually to Mr. Fogg's and Cahoots. And now probably the three brands we're focused on are Mr. Fogg's, um, Cahoots and Bunga Bunga, Mr. Fogg's. There are uh, six venues uh, in London. Cahoots is now, rather than just the underground, it's now a ticket hall and a control room. And Bunga Bunga has locations, the original in Bassey and in, and in Covent Garden. So, so, you know, that was, we were sort of on a growth trajectory and uh, probably going to open another couple of sites this year, pre-COVID. But um, for now, we're, you know, in consolidation mode and, you know, survival mode just to, you know, be standing um, the other side. So just steer on Bart's for a minute then. So you opened that around the recession time. Yeah. Like, how did that become a success? You know, it's the funniest thing with recessions that some people thrive and, and some people go to the wall. You know, what What do you think? Sort of well, on, the, on the face of it, it was not a good time to be starting a bar. <laughs> Bars and pubs, 50 a week, uh, were closed. But I think when we when we looked at bars, I, one of the things I did was I, I looked at the local area and there were about 20 uh, bars within a sort of 10-minute walk. And I printed off pictures of all 20 and I stuck them on this huge bit of board. And I asked a few people, I said, what venue was that? And no one said to me, no, there are lots of different venues here because they all looked exactly the same. So oh. they had you know, they all had the same Andy Thornton furniture. They all had the same, you know, tea light candle holders and the same glassware. And I think our mantra was innovate, don't imitate. You know, we're going to do something completely different, pretty off the wall. And if you stuck a picture of Bart in the middle of that, which we then did, it immediately pinged out at you as something different. So I think, we, I think we had real confidence in doing something innovative. Um, it's one of those things too, the secrecy thing was really exciting. You know, now the sort of term of speakeasy is really overused, but people love that. You know, I think, as I said, the Twitter um, genesis was, was, was something that was happening at the same time. And so it was well time uh, for that. Um, and it just got, a, it just got a, a real buzz. And I think also it was timed quite well in a way for the recession. You think about, you know, the, you know, the great crash and, you know, prohibition it all kind of fitted that that concept and timing quite well and also i think sort of it was interesting pre um sort of recession you know there was a lot of talk in the early uh noughties as it were of you know these venues in london it was sort of like became an accolade to say a three million pound refit or a five million pound refit mm. and actually that was you know after a recession in terms of after this one too that was sort of very vulgar and actually the fact that you know, we had done it on a on a bunch. Of, I remember. I remember we were up for a. I think it was a class magazine award for you know the best you know interior done on a budget. Uh, you know, I remember being. I remember being amused that we were kind of rewarded for being tight um, <laughs> at, at the time. But it was, you know, it was done on a shoestring. It was away from prying eyes. I think there was also an element of 
you know, people not wanting to be drinking cocktails and champagne in full view. Um, and I think, you know, we weren't charging membership. You were rewarded with loyalty. And it was kind of, we did, we had a hotel key card lock system on the door. So you tap the door and it allowed you to go in. And I think that that really um, resonated with people and it, and it was fun. Um, and, you know, they, you know, it just, it had that lovely, um, had that lovely feel, that kind of cheers feel to it. And I, I remember actually on our first Christmas, um, one of our regulars tragically, um, he was out at his office Christmas party in the city and he tragically um, got run over and killed. And, you know, he was someone who you know, was embarked probably three nights a week. And I remember going to his funeral and just looking around um, the church and most of the places were Bart's regulars. And it was a really wonderful moment, actually, because you really kind of got a sense of that community um, that the venue had. Um, and it was really somewhere that you could turn up on your own and chat to the bartender and chat to the other regulars. And I think especially in a city like London, there is often a lack of community. Um, obviously, things like that happen the whole time in especially country pubs. But it was lovely to have created a space that worked well like that. Um, and yeah, so it was on the face of it, it was terrible timing, but it was the right thing at the right time. And I think people love the novel idea and it got loads of press and, and created a, a, a real buzz. And I remember turning up on the first Friday with Duncan and, you know, we, we had sort of been there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And we always said, but it's going to be amazing if we can turn up and there isn't a table for us. And there was a kind of, you know, queue, queue through the corridor of this apartment block to go in. And um, yeah, it was, it, 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 it kind of took off pretty quickly. And, and it was, it was funny. It's, it's almost, I mean, our, our tagline there is London's worst kept secret. And actually, it's, it's interesting. We tell someone, tell someone something and say, don't tell anyone. They tell way more people. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think the hotel keycard thing is just absolute genius. And the, the closest thing I had to it, I suppose, was, I don't know if you remember Crazy Bear opened yeah. a club in... Um, right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was one... So sort of next near the Ivy, wasn't there? I think there's two, yeah. I, I knew uh, the one, yeah. And, like, I think we get contacted to say something like, you know, you've been identified as a VIP or whatever it was, and you can have a year's membership or a yearly membership for, like, 50 quid or whatever it was. But you felt a certain amount of ownership and special, and, you know, and you were given your car. It was hard to find. There was only, like, claw marks on, you know, one of the doors or something, and that, yeah, it was, you know... I think one level up from that is you, you know, like mm. it, it really feels like you're letting yourself into your place. Yeah. It's that, funny because, because you, you see a lot of, um, you used to see a lot of people turning up to parks on first dates, you know, these girls meeting, you know, guys or, um, you know, and, and, and guys, guys saying to girls, you know, meet outside this apartment. And, you know, they kind of, they were sort of like, you know, this, this, this guy or girl's being incredibly, you know, presumptuous going straight into their flat and the sort of look of relief when they open the door to find it wasn't an apartment at all and it was actually a um, a bar. <laughs> it was, was sometimes quite funny. Um, but, it, you know, it was a... Yeah, no, it, it, it was a simple idea and it was, you know, we didn't have any money to spend and so we had to think creatively and I think that's the other thing about recessions. I think sometimes 
it's all too easy just to throw money at things. And actually, um, the Bart's mentality really worked and got us thinking creatively. And we tried to, you know, we, 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 we didn't want to be buying stuff out of catalogs. And, and so we made a lot of things. We kind of, you know, we, 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 we created, I don't know, lampshades out of, um, or, you know, or lamp holders out of skis and, and, and you know, put things together like that. And, and it sort of, everything was a bit unique and different. And, and, and rather than thinking, well, I've seen that in lots of places before. And that's something we've tried to carry on um, as the group business has grown over the years. Hi, Alex from Engage here, and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing. And this week's comes from Shri, our head of SEO, who gives his expert insight into making use of structured data. Structured data, also known as rich snippets, is a way to provide your website's code to Google in a format that it can understand. This helps Google display the information in a more user-friendly way, above and beyond the standard search result. For local businesses and the hospitality industry, the structured data that will be most useful will be logo, local business information, and events. To implement this, you will need your developer's help, but the good news is that once it's set up, it will hardly need any ongoing updates at all. We've seen the events market perform particularly well at driving organic search traffic. For more information on this, simply search for the phrase Google Search Gallery. If you need help getting your brand more visible online and the edge on your competition, simply head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with their own high-performance digital marketing strategies. Cheers, and enjoy the rest of the episode. And if we think about the brand side of things, then, you know, if I get my geek on a little bit, you know, the naming, the brand codes, the brand concepts, the, you know, where where did all that inspiration come from in terms of, you know, the names and, and what would be inside? I think, you know, our, our concepts sort of have developed, over, you know, over the years. I think, you know, we get, we get inspired by... Um, by things we've seen in other countries, by things that we've seen on um, on television and film, um, and um, you know, look, I, I always think I, the great U.S. restaurateur Danny Meyer says that creating a concept is a bit like composing music. The notes are predetermined, but the order you put them in creates something unique. And he's and he's absolutely right about that. And I think that um, you know, Bunga Bunga, for example is, you know, karaoke, live entertainment and pizza. You know, we didn't invent karaoke, we didn't invent pizza um, or live entertainment. And cabarets have been going for years, but I think that the way we merged them all together, sort of unique concept, created something very different. And, you know, I think a lot of the time, concepts we've come up with collectively, especially between Duncan and I, you know, uh, merging of ideas. So, um, Cahoots, the idea, I was... You know this this underground space. So I was very keen that we play. We always turn a disadvantage into an advantage, and actually, you know, what has to be underground? Well, of course, an underground tube station. So, so to do something around an underground tube station. He had this idea. I love that 1940s sort of post-war period. So rather than choosing between them, a bit like when we first were double booked, <laughs> we we merged the two, and we did a 1940s tube station cahoots. So. So yeah, I think that's how you know. And then obviously, Mr. Fogg was a, was a, was through a childhood uh, book that 
you know, that I read um, you know, around the world in 80 days and was always fascinated by that book and always sort of, was almost, you know, Mr. Fogg's is almost the sequel that imagines life with this eccentric character once um, he's back in, in London having done his journey and it kind of starts off where the book's left. And, and it's been lovely working with fiction because you can actually have a lot of fun with that. Um, and then Maggie's Brass was really just looking at a, you know, we're looking at a, a period of time um, and that 1980s period, it's a 1980s club, we only played 1980s music, but was so ahead of itself in terms of music. And we were desperately trying to think of a name. And a lot of big 80s icons were either sort of famous, perhaps a new romance part of the 80s, early or late 80s, or, you know, the likes of Madonna, who was obviously massive in the 80s, but she's also massive in the 90s, the noughties. So she doesn't sort of epitomize that generation. So, you know, we were doing our research, and obviously Maggie Thatcher was Prime Minister from 79 to 90. And you know, it's pretty unique for someone to be a Prime Minister, not only um, but for, for 10 years, but actually to, to, to be across a whole uh, a decade of generations. So she seemed like the perfect 80s icon. And obviously it was a bit tongue-in-cheek. We used a spitting image, image for it. And politics, as we all know, is very divisive. So... You know, I think, you know, we had a bit of fun with that. And Maggie's, you know, obviously shut at the moment, but it's, you know, a year, you know, 10 years on and still only playing 80s music. And the crowd are, you know, initially we had a rule, you had to have a 1980s date of birth. Obviously, a lot of those people are now married with kids and not going to nightclubs anymore. But it's amazing how the younger generation coming through still absolutely love that music. I think, you know, there's a real thirst for that stuff at the moment, you know, 80s and 90s are, you know, booming um, at the moment, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of that going on, so you were way ahead of your time sort of looking at that, and are there any concepts that, you know, you would like to explore, or you've got in your mind, or haven't done yet, or you know, is there anything in the, in the innovation planner, or are you going to stick with these sort of main brands now? I think, no, I think we would love to create a new concept. Um, and I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot that we can do within the narratives of our current concepts. I think it's, you know, I think the lovely thing about Mr. Fogg's and Cahoots um, especially is, is, is they are brands that, you know, that work in different guises, you know, from Mr. Fogg's tavern to his gin parlor uh, to his society of exploration and his, his official residence in Mayfair. You know, they're all very, they're all different and the concept can work in a basement uh, wine bar um, a new build uh, glass box or an old public house. So it gives us that versatility. And um, so I think for now, we'll definitely keep these central characters, but we'll do really different things. And I think, you know, we'd like to show at some point that we could take two sites opposite each other within the same brand and do something completely different. Well, that's cool. Um, um, but um, I'd say never say never. You know, we're always thinking about new concepts, new things that, that will work. But um, I think, you know, we, we like the fact that we're multi-brand. Um, you know, we've got really strong sort of followings um, sort of on social media and through our mail-outs and, and our sort of databases. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have an element of consistency, but also huge, you know, huge pieces of um, points of difference, you know, between between these venues. So even within that brand. So I think it's, I think in the same way an artist uh, can have a style that um, you know, draw lots of different pictures. Um, I think that's how we kind of see 
um, Mr. Fogs, for example, or Cahoots, you know, it's the same overriding brand, but with uh, lots of different ideas within that. So I think we can still be really creative. And I think, you know, the trouble is about, you know, chains and we're seeing them going through a hard time. I think sometimes if you go to one chain, you've, you've done them all, you, you know, they're not different. Um, whereas the hope for us and something that we're able to actually prove through data is people go to one Mr. Fox and they want to experience the collection. Um, similarly, you know, to Cahoots, they want to experience different spaces because they are different. Um, they're not going to one, you know, job done, uh, tick them all. And I know obviously there are conversely some advantages of having that cookie cutter approach because you have an absolute consistency. But it's not for us as exciting, and I don't believe that's how the consumer is going to move and adapt uh, in the coming years. I think people live so vicariously through their social media and, and what other people are doing. They want to be able to experience something new and different and share it. Just when you're talking about social media, I was at uh, the RMI conference in January, and after I was you know, doing my stuff, there was a panel. And I'm sure it was the uh, woman that does your social media was on the panel. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And she gave the most brilliant example about doing social media well and tying it up with data. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about if, you know, a group of people like Espresso Martinis, then you'll hit them up multiple times with all, you know, one artist, many paintings um, of delicious, craveable images of that drink to beat you into submission to come back. Um, I just thought it was out of this world. You know, I thought she was great, you know. Um, and I've, uh, that example has been in my mind so much. And then, of course, you know, you've, you've got a market in Rockstar and Simon as well. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, I think we're very lucky. We've got a really, really strong marketing team. And you know, I think now, in, in many ways, we think of ourselves as almost a, a marketing agency um, that's, you know, that, that, that sell drinks. And, you know, that it's, it's so important. And I think, you know, social media is obviously, it's the way we, we get information. And, and these days, I think people used to read and flip through the paper. And, you know, the only person who still, still cuts something out of a magazine and sends it to me with a post-it note is my mum. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, that is not something that, it's not how we live anymore. And I think um, I think social media is, you know, how we get ideas to go to places and 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 actually how you know M and the team have been able to use data to to market, you know, to people according to their preferences, as you as you as you point out, is really, really clever. And you know, there's there's no point in trying to really sell a state night to a group of uh, vegans, for example. Um, and you know, I think if you look at I'm always really impressed by, by Majestic, for example, because I always find that their newsletter to me is very tailored to um, the wine I like, um, which is kind of a, a sort of a more of a Chardonnay, Chardonnay um, kind of um, white. And you know, they always suggest things which are very similar to the one I usually order. And it's that kind of data is really important. And actually our ops director, Robin, he always, we always speak about this example that he gives is that when he went to stay at the sister hotel of one that he usually stays at, the, um, it was a bottle of wine with a note, but the wine was the one that he always ordered uh, when he was in that other hotel. 
And the, the impact difference between it just being a bottle of house wine to the personal touch of that being the bottle that he had chosen was huge. Mm. And being able to use data in that sort of way. I mean, back in the day, you know, some of the great sommeliers and front of house people, and still today, you know, we remember those preferences and some of our best staff do. But actually, if you can use uh, your CRM system and data and till system to help you with that, you can really cater for people's demands and try and um, try and personalize the experience. I think personalizing experiences and marketing is only something that's going to grow over the coming years. I, I, it's, it's just was so heartening to see, right? Because I just, you know, it's the norm. You know, I come across so many clients or so many people speaking about it or whatever, and it's just, they just post and then that's it. You know, there's no reporting, there's no follow-up, there's no analysis, there's no triangulating your data, there's no then action from that. You know, it is, how quickly can I get out something on Twitter, tick? How can I get something out on Instagram, tick, and all the rest of it? So I was like almost out my chair, like whooping for her, you know, when she was saying it. <laughs> this, it just was, it just made me feel so great. And I've used the example so many times talking to people and then even we were doing a social media course for Propel on Tuesday. Uh, me and uh, Alison from, from Avocado Social, we do it every year for Propel. And, um, I, you know, I, I gave the example there because it's just, that's best in class marketing thinking and there's 1% of marketing teams that are doing that right now, if that. Um, yeah. so it, it was hugely impressive. You know, just thinking about the, the sort of venues and, and, and all the rest of it, you know, how do you, what's the hiring process for people? How do you get them into character and, you know, dressing up in the way that, you know, all these things, how does that all work? You know, with our staff and the venues, it's trying to, you know, recruit for attitude, train for skill. So it's trying to, you can, you know, our view is you can usually teach someone to carry a tray, but you can't teach them to you know, get into character and be on, be on brand. So it's trying to get the right personality and, and, and making sure during the hiring process, they they know what they're they're in for, um, and we we employ a lot of um, out of work actors, and um, so you know they're kind of used to getting on brand and getting um, getting into theme, um, and it's it's constant training. You know we have a great kind of team of managers who 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 are constantly you know picking up on 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 how they need to be more engaged. Um, into the brands within their within their working you know body language brand language um and uh you know giving giving constant feedback um, but it's it's making sure you're recruiting the right sort of people who are who are up for that i guess from supersonic inc this is the mark mcsee supersonic marketing podcast The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, Talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. 
As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors, and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top. And please say that I sent you. Just thinking about the PR side of things, I mean, of course, you know, you would hope it was going to be you that would make the headlines with the way you do things. So with the COVID stuff, you know, being able to bring that topically into how people are dressed and experience those things, you know, what, what was the thought behind that? And, you know, did you think it would go anywhere or it was a bit of fun and see what happens? I think, it, you know, from my perspective, I think it's really, really important that, of course, we take COVID seriously in all the measures. So, you know, we've got all the, you know, standard um, measures you'd expect us to have. And I think, you know, we've been doing things, you know, to the guidelines. We only opened one venue on the 4th of July because the guidance actually only came out 10 days before and we couldn't get any other venues ready in time. And that was obviously installing screens and ensuring there was a metre plus between each table, um, ensuring... Some of the loose routes of action because they would be too close, you know, hand sanitizing points, um, temperature checks, track and trace, and all that sort of stuff. But as well as that, it's also really important to us that we don't forget that people are coming to have a nice time and to get away from it all and to have an experience. And that's what we do. Our mission statement is to create unique and memorable experiences. So we also thought it was important to try and be creative and you know, em- embrace and you know, and lean into some of the measures. So at Mr. Fogg's uh, residence, we, um, you know, dressed up uh, some mannequins as characters from around the world in 80 days and sat them at various tables. It was so that we didn't have to remove um, a third of our furniture and then people sitting in a slightly barren room. And so they're actually, rather than that, there are mannequins enforcing the social distancing. And that works really nicely because people taking photos of the mannequins, it's quite fun, a little creepy, but it's, um, you know, it gave people something to smile about. And um, rather than doing standard PPE at Mr. Fogg's House of Botanicals, we um, dressed the staff up as, as beekeepers. Again, it fitted with the theme of sort of nature and, and plants. Um, and, you know, more recently, we've been wanting to get Bunga Bassi ready. Obviously, karaoke doesn't fully fit within the guidelines and it's old guys. So we've done something called Karasoki. So we've installed shower cubicles around the room. We've made the microphone in the shower head and then people go in, they sing their favourite songs in the shower. Who doesn't love singing in the shower? And um, and then they're sanitised by a cleaner dressed like something from Mrs Brown um, between each between each use. Um, and then the table will also have shower screens around them. And it's really fun. Um, the other thing we've done is we've installed phones on each table because tables can't mingle, but they can phone each other. Um, so each table has a number and people call around the room. And that's that's gone down really really well. So it's it's just trying to you know think creatively, um, adapt, be agile, and you know we've always tried to turn a negative into a positive somehow. Um, I think you know on the question of where did we think it would go, um, you know I, I I probably you know thought thought it would get some traction. I probably didn't think it would go as international as it did. You know we did it was sort of it, it hit the news in in most in most major countries everywhere from, you know, Good Morning America to Bloomberg to 
Russian evening news, German news, Swiss, Swiss radio, Australian um, evening news. So it definitely went further than we ever anticipated. But it was it was nice to be for the first time during the whole crisis to talk about something on the offensive uh, rather than constantly having to be de- defensive and trying to tackle the uh, crisis that was unfolding. There's two brands that blew my mind uh, really during lockdown and you were one for doing that and it was nice right because you know being locked down and you know being on social media all the time as, as I'm for part of my job and fairly depressing place to be and fairly lonely place to be you know and you're flicking through and I saw your stuff and I just thought brilliant so it just made me smile from ear to ear and then I think Albert Sloss did a great job um, where they opened for takeaway I believe and they had like stilt walkers that were dressed up like, you know, pink wigs and like big flamingo type things and a DJ playing. And, you know, and I just thought, isn't it nice that people can still have fun and still be them? And you can be safe, but you don't need to be like poor faced about it. I think it's really, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, as I said, people aren't going to want to leave their homes and go and sort of go, you know, have to spend a whole evening going through airport security and then sitting in a sort of perfect prison and being served by someone looking like they're about to perform surgery on them. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it's really important. that I think it's really important as a sector. Um, we, we take the COVID measures really seriously, and we are doing that. But it's also important that we're in the business of entertainment and fun, and we've got to be able to do both. I think you can do both. Is, um, is that a future concept, someone about to operate on you? You never know. I've actually always thought that would be a good um, kind of Victorian style um, doctor's surgery. <laughs> be good. So you never know. Mr. Fogg might might come back in that guise at some point. Well, there's plenty of alcohol to numb the pain, I guess, and, and yeah. the wounds and all that stuff. <laughs> and alchemy definitely all, all fits well with the period. So I think I first discovered you... Um, it was, you know, really at the Publican Awards, I think it was, and I, I think I was judging, and Simon certainly came in to talk about, you know, some of the marketing things that happened, and I think that year we were talking about you doing the intergalactic space thing. Yeah, because I, I actually couldn't, so I did the first round of judging, and then I think I was away the second. Yeah, you couldn't make it, that's right, yeah. Most time Robin came in, yeah. So yeah, we sent to, we were the first people to send a cocktail to space, um, which we did um, a few years ago, which was quite fun. And it was going really, really well. It launched into space nice. We had a camera, we had a great shot of it. Um, and then it and then it was coming down beautifully, but it landed at the top of a tree near Coventry. And we then had to get this whole team out um, to, of people to, who could abseil and get to the top of this tree to retrieve our uh, to retrieve our bottle of, of, of space Negroni. Oh, uh, yeah. It was it was it was it was Negroni bitters, and then we put a we put a bottle of uh, we put a drink on the a cocktail on the menu that had an element of this in, and they got a certificate saying you know your your drink has been to space, um, and uh, you know especially the American tourist market loved it. It was just a, it was so astonishing and did you not have i mean it was ludicrous numbers of views on the thing right socially yeah, it, I, think it, I think it had um so it went on i think it was shared on buzzfeed and a, i think lad bible and a few others i think it wrapped up something like yeah 15 million views and um, which was which was fantastic 
<laughs> it was great, you know, and it was just great to see that creativity as well. And, you know, there's no real ROI on it, you know, and, and I think so many businesses in general, but hospitality businesses are, you know, operator-led maybe, they want instant ROI. If you do this, it brings back this. And I think it's just nice to see someone that's doing brand building stuff that might come off, but it might not. But why not? Let's just give it a go. Yeah, I think so. And, I, you know, I really hope that doesn't go because of COVID. Obviously, you know, marketing budgets are massively restricted right now as we're in this sort of transition period, the sort of survival mode. But I do think that, um, you know, it will come back. But I also think that you, you don't necessarily, necessarily need to spend a fortune. You know, obviously sending a cocktail to, to space was relatively expensive, um, especially after it landed in a tree. But you can do things uh, on more of a shoestring. Um, you know, it wasn't expensive for us to set up Karasoki, um, just some buying some shower cubicles um, and getting the mic into the shower head was, you know, did not require a lot of investment. So I think sometimes it's just, it's thinking um, creatively, thinking differently and, um, you know, and, and then applying these, these, these things, these things and, and, and people, you know, people, people, Love, love seeing it, and, and I agree. You know, you can't always measure things on an instant ROI, but I think, you know, definitely we can see the value of doing something like that. I thought it was brilliant. And then, you know, just thinking about uh, pop culture and, and all these things. Obviously, you had uh, the Tiger Queen, <laughs> I suppose, uh, rather than the Tiger King, um, on on you know as part of your marketing. So. Again, you know, how did that come about and what were, you, what were you thinking about that? Well, I think, you know, one of the unlikely stars of lockdown was uh, Carol Baskin and The Tiger King seemed to be the series that a lot of people watched on, TV, on Netflix. And just heard through a friend, actually, that she had just joined um, Cameo, mm-hmm. um, which is a site where you can pay people to save things. And I just think she went straight on and, you know, she was mainly just saying, happy birthday but wrote, wrote out this whole script for her to talk about our venues opening. And literally about seven minutes later, sort of, she was obviously by the Tiger Pen at the time. My phone pinged, you know, Carol has uploaded your video. <laughs> um, and I couldn't quite believe it. But it's, it's one of those things, you know, that, that she, Carol Baskin is having a, a moment of light, you know, in the limelight at the moment, and probably in a year's time, she will be, completely irrelevant and an unknown but it was sort of the right right time right place and it was a bit of it was a bit of fun but i think it got a it, it amused people and um, because it was quite current at the time I, I think it was just absolutely genius and gabby that used to work with me at um we are spectacular she's now at caravan you know she was sort of sharing it and talking about it and she's always kind of tuned into to what's going on out there so it was it was absolutely brilliant and then what about engaging your audiences then? So throughout lockdown, what did you do in terms of, you know, reaching out to people, keeping the brands alive, um, you know, through uh, CRM and all that stuff? We did um, We did all of our Explorer talks online. So we've got some really good people, everyone from Leveson Woods to Kenton Cool, who I think has um, climbed Everest now 15 times. You know, every week there was a different Explorer who did a talk and answered questions um, over our Instagram channel. Um, usually we do those talks in the venues and that was really successful and people really really enjoyed that so that was a that was a big that was a big positive um we did a we did a lovely um collaboration with Bacardi and delivering some of our key uh, cocktails via Deliveroo so that's kept the brand alive there 
Um, we did some quiz nights. Uh, we did with cahoots and um, lots of cocktail recipes. We did um, some virtual uh, bunga bingo nights. Um, so like a real a real combination actually. But it was no, they all they all seemed to be really well received. And um, you know we had lots of nice messages. We sold gift vouchers with a twenty five percent reduction uh, during a period that sold, sold relatively well. Um, so people could come and cash them in once we reopened, and it's really nice seeing those people in the venues now who kind of supported us during that tricky time. But um, yeah, no, it's just just tried to try to keep engaging and 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 talking to our customers, and you know, got lots of lovely messages basically from sort of people saying, you know, can't wait to get back, and I'm dreaming of a fog's cocktail or an evening in cahoots, and and you know, our, our regulars have, have, have come. I've come blocking back, albeit you know we still have got all these restrictions in place, so we can't quite accommodate the numbers that we used to at one time. And what's the plan then, sort of going forward? So between now and Christmas, what are you sort of focusing on, and then into twenty twenty one and beyond? What are you thinking? You know, just so much depends on what we're allowed to do. And um, you know, I think one thing I've learned through this is you've got to almost plan week to week or day to day and um, you know speculating and looking in the news can drive you a bit mad and um, so I think you know we're probably you know we're just we're just trying to make sure that we can deliver as good an experience as possible right now give people that escapism they need and do everything in a really COVID safe manner so you know we are ensuring that we're not responsible for any sort of further spread of, of the virus and just just focusing what's directly ahead of us. I think our, you know the next big priorities for us is going to be opening Bunga Bunga Covent Garden, which opens in October, and Mr. Fogg Society of Exploration Office Strand also opens October. Um, and once they're open, you know everything's going to be open other than Maggie's, and then just kind of trying to, you know, just 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 hope that we get some clarity and that opens early next year. But I think that for us, there'll be a period of consolidation. Um, you know, it's, as I said, it's survival mode at the moment. And hopefully at some point in the future, we can start thinking about growing again. Well, that'll be exciting. And, you know, you've had such a strong brand before lockdown happened. You know, the ones that had that are, are going to definitely fare much better, you know, than um, the ones that were sort of treading water. So, yeah, I, I, I'm sure you'll bounce back super quick. So there was a couple of questions then just finally, just a bit of fun um, to ask you, uh, which we do called Mark Out of 10. So best city to eat in? So my favourite city to eat in is Seville in Spain. It's my absolute favourite because you you don't have to book. You go out quite late and, and you just go from restaurant to restaurant. One of my favourite is the oldest restaurant in Spain called Il Reconcilio. Um, and... You go in the early spring, it's kind of snail season and lots of local delicacies and it's relatively near the Atlantic coast. So you get amazing sort of seafood, sardines, chipperoni, squid and uh, razor clams. But I just love it because you go out and you try a little bit of something in one then you go to the next and you can end up having a dinner over the course of three or four hours, starting at nine, 10 in the evening, going on to two in the morning where you've tried about 30 different dishes and, you know, at, you know, it's just that experience of sharing. I just absolutely love it. And, and not having to plan in advance too. It's very spontaneous. Brilliant. And is that best restaurant covered in that? Or have you you're allowed another one if you want to talk about another restaurant that's your favourite? 
I think for me, the absolute treat place that I, you know, during lockdown, I dreamt about going to and, and was lucky enough, I was, I'd been given a, um, a gift up for Christmas. So, so I went back there, it was uh, um, the River Cafe. I think it's just phenomenal. I just love the fact that, you know, the staff haven't changed much. They're really, really good. Sitting outside on a summer's night by the river there, just can't beat it. But it's the food. It's just amazing produce, really, really simply done. But, you know, I've never had a bad experience that everything has always been so consistent. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, you know, in the industry would say the same. It's just, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it's so, it's, it's somewhere you can really rely on being excellent. The food and the produce is just phenomenal, as is the hospitality. I think if I went across all episodes where I've asked these questions, I think River Cafe is coming out top. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's definitely doing something right. And then best dish, what's your sort of go-to dish when you're out and about? Uh, like a, an amazing T-bone steak uh, is absolutely my favourite. I think, yeah, Hawks Moors do a, do a great one. Probably the best steak I've ever had is in a little tiny trattoria uh, in... Florence called the Mario's and you could just hear like the butcher in the back just cutting his T-bone steaks and you just have it with a big glass of red wine and and then they, they do this amazing Vinsanto where you dip the biscuits into that but like a if it, if it was my my sort of um, my kind of last meal it would definitely be an amazing big T-bone cooked really red um, and uh, can't beat that. Lovely. And what about favourite uh, pub? What you know, apart from obviously your venues, which aren't pubs, but you know, what, what's your sort of go-to pub? I think I've got two favourites. I love the Nags Head, which is near Hyde Park Corner of London. Um, it's got loads of eclectic stuff on the wall, loads to look at. Um, you know, they they've got a, they've got a rule: no phones at all inside. Cannot use a phone, right. uh, which is quite nice. And they, you know, the landlady's a real character, and she gets absolutely furious if people bring it up, which is really nice. Because what you know, I think. Life used to be like that. We didn't all spend the evening looking at our phones. We kind of spoke about stuff, and it's nice on their places that you go there. You're you're forced to have to behave like that. And the other one, it's less of a sort of drinkers pub, more of a food led pub. But the Sportsman um, in yeah. Sydney, I just absolutely love that place. I love the fact that you have an amazing Michelin star meal, and yet it still very much feels like a pub. Drinkers can still come in with their dogs and have a pint at the bar. Get you having an eleven-course taster menu, sort of forty-five quid, and um, so I think it's great value, uh, great wine list, always consistent, beautiful situation. That for me would, would be kind of a real treat to go down there and have a have a blowout lunch. And finally, what's your best drink? What's your go-to tipple? It's between having a a Negroni at Mr. Fogg's and and a martini at Duke's made by Alessandro there. And he's been the head bartender there for years and years. And, and he makes an amazing uh, gin martini uh, with, with a twist. Um, it's where he and Fleming used to go. It's why James Bond drank the martini. And it's a great bar. Um, and it, I went back there for the first time a couple of weeks ago. They still have the old traditional rule. You can only ever have two. And they'll never serve you more than two martinis. And it's a very, very special place. Fantastic. Well, listen, I'll let you go because I know you're super busy and I appreciate you giving up your time today. Uh, yeah, it's just been a real pleasure to talk to you. Great to chat to you. I really enjoyed it. And um, thank you for all you're doing to, 
spread the word of, of the sector at the moment. Pleasure, pleasure. Well, I'll hopefully catch you in real life at some point soon and, um, and, and give my love to Simon as well and, and thank him for hooking us up too. I will do. Cheers. Thanks. Well, Thanks to Charlie Jilks for being on today. I wish him and the Inception Group team well for the rest of 2020 and beyond. Thanks to you for listening, subscribing, sharing, rating and reviewing. It really does mean a lot to us, so thank you. Thanks to Engage Interactive for being our headline sponsor. If you need anything digital, get in touch with Alex and the team at Engage Interactive and they'll be sure to help. Thanks also to BDO, our premium partners. Again, if you need any financial advice, financial restructuring, or advice on mergers and acquisitions, do get in touch with Peter Hemmington at BDO, and he'll help you out too. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby for putting the podcast together as ever. This is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you, thanks for listening, and I hope that this episode gave you some real value to help your brand boom. Boom.